0: Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for your support of the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu.
1: Live Uncommon.
0: Today, we get to talk about history and music, and we get to do that with none other than the Reverend Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, and our chaplain for the International Center. Chaplain Denzer, thanks so much for joining us on the Coffee Hour today. I'm glad to be here, guys. Music, history, did we choose the right guy?
1: I think so. Yes.
0: <laughs> I think so. You, considering you mentioned before we came on air that uh, you had a book, that, like a biography for who we're going to talk about today, and you didn't bring it with you, you forgot it, and you're totally distraught. So when <laughs> someone leaves like a biography of a great church musician and is distraught over it, you know that they're a church music history buff, right? I'm yes. so excited about it. Who are we talking about today? Um, Pretorius. And so let's
2: dig into who is
0: Pretorius. It's Michael Pretorius, correct?
2: Michael Pretorius, yes. Uh, and his father was named the same, except uh, his father went by the German version of that last name, Schulteis. Uh, it's related to Schultz and Schultze All these are names that uh, a lot of Germans are familiar with. Uh, but Michael Pretorius lived from 1571 or 72 to 1621, Uh, which makes uh, February 15 of this year the 400th anniversary of his death, in fact.
1: So tell us more about his, I don't know, early life. Who is Michael Pretorius?
2: Sure. Michael Pretorius is known as one of the great Lutheran church musicians uh, of of this era, which is really a transition in the music world between the Renaissance and the Baroque period. So Baroque, we think Bach. Uh, and Renaissance, we think, uh, Palestrina, and uh, purely vocal music, a lot of Roman Catholic music, although we should say also uh, the the tradition uh, from the Lutheran Church uh, of the chorales. And uh, what makes Pretorius to me really the quintessential Lutheran uh, musician, I, I would really rank him ahead of Bach, believe it or not, in terms of his importance to us, is that wow. he he's a man who everything that he did— was focused on our heritage. And what I mean by that is he was concerned with two things. The the Latin hymns and propers of the church, uh, particularly the, the parts of the service, Kyrie, Gloria, things we still use in church today in Latin, as well as the hymns of the ancient heritage. And the Lutheran chorales, which he probably spent even more time worrying about uh, composing settings of, are hymns. So if you can think of any hymn that was written before he was alive, something like uh, A Mighty Fortress, Savior of the Nations Come, all of these hymns uh, he has settings for, and not just one, but multiple, uh, for two voices, for three voices, for eight voices, for double choirs, for uh, instruments along with people singing, Uh, and the congregation has its place too. Uh, so so what he was doing was fully engaged with the participation of the congregation of the choirs of instruments, of the full musical resources he could muster, uh, but but using these simple and timeless tools of our Lutheran hymns and the the great heritage of the Latin Church even before the Reformation. Okay, I
0: one have to. Correct myself. I made a mistake, and I referred to you as a church music history buff. I should have used the word scholar, uh, not buff, because you've studied way more church history, church music history than than I have, and, and, and possibly more than Sarah as well. Yes. The, so obviously, Pretorius has written a lot of great music that has served us well in the church, and we'll talk more about how much his work has influenced. Um, the, the life of the, the church, especially Lutheran church today. But can we dig into more of the history of who he is? What do you know about the, the person of Michael Pretorius uh, growing up where he grew up or, or anything about his, his childhood or his education?
2: So his father, Michael Schultheis, was kind of a second-generation Lutheran pastor, uh, and he served in a couple different places during his life, but he served in the time of the interim. This is after Luther dies. Melanchthon kind of has become the de facto leader of the Lutheran Church. We promptly lose all of our wars, and the, and the Catholic Emperor Charles V uh, storms through Germany. Only Magdeburg and a few other cities are holding out. We really just lost right away. Uh, and he imposes what's called the interim. Uh, which is we're going to basically try and re-Catholicize Germany, uh, snuff out Luther's teaching uh, through a program of mostly changing the way church looks. Uh, and, and Melanchthon actually has kind of a dark history in this, that he kind of uh, was a compromiser on this. And so there's, there's the staunch, uh, genuine Lutherans who are, are opposing this, and Michael Schulteis is one of those pastors. He's removed from office because he refuses to wear the surplice, something we would mm-hmm. wear happily today. But in those days, it really was a symbol that you were going to let the whole Roman Catholic uh, false teaching creep back into the church. So he's deposed, and so Michael Pretorius grows up as the son of a deposed pastor. His two brothers uh, go into the ministry and uh, have—I mean, they're great preachers from what we have. They're maybe a little feisty, uh, but but they die quite young, too. So we have a history of a child who's really troubled, uh, it seems. And out of nowhere, we get these reports that he's an organist, and he's been holding positions for three years, which is surprising because he didn't study that. In fact, he was studying to be a pastor. This really is a man after my own heart because I, I kind of went the other way around. I started with the music and went into the ministry after that. But um, he didn't see any conflict between the two at all. Uh, there's some speculation that maybe he still wanted to uh, uh, maybe become a pastor It was a uh, sad that he had never finished that. And yet he's got a fantastic, uh, elegiac poem, man, if I had that biography, I could read it to you uh, where he talks about just as my, my forefathers, my brothers, uh, preached God's word, uh, as priests. So I do it now as uh, as a, in song as David did when he wrote the psalms. Mm-hmm. I mean so you see he really has taken to heart Luther's teaching about music and theology where Luther said that uh, music is the handmaiden of theology and second only to theology and that these two are closely connected that we want uh, to use the word we want to use the the music available to us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly just as it says in Colossians chapter 3. Mm-hmm. So he starts off uh uh Serving pretty quickly in Groningen uh, and Wolfenbüttel. Um, these are kind of North German areas, and he's serving Duke Heinrich Julius of uh, Braunschweig-Wolfenbüttel. And this guy's kind of a, he's a weird guy because he is also the Roman Catholic bishop of the territory. He kind of inherits it in the old system where, where where being a bishop isn't necessarily a churchly office. this is what Luther actually was fighting against, but more of a political and uh, and you know lucrative opportunity. And he was consecrated as bishop in the Roman Catholic mass setting, which very much angered his Lutheran uh, uh, subjects and yet he himself seems to have uh, actually helped to, allow and permit the reformation of his territory. So he really is kind of a strange guy uh, drifting in the middle. His wife, on the other hand, Elizabeth, she is entirely uh, a staunch Lutheran. And so in this context, music is really important to his court. And and that's the job that Pretorius has and, and seems to have loved the most in his life is he was the court musician, so he, he didn't work, strictly speaking, in the church entirely. Half of his job was taking care of the, of the prince's ducal chapel and, uh, and taking care of the services. The other half was providing music as you would for any uh, high uh, prince that you would provide music at the dinner table and you'd uh, play for all of his guests and foreign members of state that would come to visit but overwhelmingly, even though Praetorius gives us some great secular music as well, a lot of dances he collected, mm-hmm. uh, the majority of his works are sacred and unabashedly Lutheran.
1: Mm-hmm. What did all of that, that uh, ability and, and that job as a court musician, how did that play into the amount and, and type of music that he was able to and maybe expected to uh, compose and perform?
2: It's an incredible amount of work that he had to do. He was expected, I mean, to be performing and organizing groups of players and singers just constantly. I mean, not only for church every week and every feast, uh, but also, you know, hey, we're having a dinner. We're going on a fox hunt. We got to have some music <laughs> for the fox hunt, right? Uh, you know, you can't put on a CD or, uh, you know, put on your iTunes. Uh, you got to call up the musicians. And he actually was in charge, even of keeping his musicians in line. It says you got to make sure that uh, they all are living a sober life. And uh, well, you can imagine they might have had trouble with that in the past. Uh, but really, for his output, it doesn't play into the uh, it at all because. All of his composing and all of his, his composing was for the job, but his publication of it, which is the only way you and I could ever see it, mm-hmm. that all had to be done separately. In fact, his contract even says, you got to do that on your own time uh, or get our permission first. Mm-hmm. And uh, Praetorius is, to say he's prolific is an understatement. He's impossibly organized. Uh he not only, this is a painful thing for us because he not only put out his work, but he told us in detail what the next edition was going to have in it, which means if any of those are lost or if he didn't complete them, which sadly he didn't, uh, we know everything that we're missing, which kind of hurts, you know, <laughs> uh, even what we have is incredible. He he put together in in what he called the Muses of Zion, which is almost like a, a part You know, and you get a new edition every couple years, right? Full of his music and and just endless settings of our hymns and of of the liturgy. He had had about four volumes on hymns. He had a a couple volumes on parts of the service. He has a whole volume dedicated just to the Magnificat settings of Mary's song from Luke 2. He's got a whole set dedicated just to, bless We the Lord, thanks be to God. That little uh, snippet of the liturgy that we say at the end of the divine service and at the end of Vespers and Matins. And he's just got endless, 60, 70 settings of those two little phrases for the choir to sing, uh, as well as a, a whole set of dances, secular music, uh, but but even more um, settings of these hymns. And, and as I mentioned earlier, not just, you know, I've got a setting for Savior the Nations, come, we'll move on to the next hymn in the hymnal. No multiple settings, for multiple groups of forces. That's what Praetorius is really known for in the musical world, is his use of multiple groups of singers. This was a new technique uh, that really came out of Italy. And even though he never visited Italy, as most of the composers of his era did, so he never learned firsthand these new hip Italian styles. And yet he was able to uh, implement them to uh, become a composer of them himself and and to serve his Duke in that capacity uh, just incredibly and prolifically. That is amazing,
0: yeah. One, that he was able to keep his musicians in line. I mean, <laughs> that alone was a challenge, especially the sopranos and the tenors. You never have to worry hey about the altos and the basses, right?
2: <laughs> it's just well, the and, of the and the use the tenors too, because part of the interesting uh, – the style of this music is not just that you have multiple groups kind of echoing back and forth to one another, but that you actually put them in different places in the church. Mm-hmm. The cover uh, for his um, uh, music release uh, is this amazing woodcut. At the top, it's got, uh, you know, the glory cloud, uh, sanctus, 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 holy, 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 the Lord there. You got the Lamb of God standing on the mountain, Mount Zion from uh, uh, the fourth chapter of Revelation. You see all of heaven singing and playing their harps. But down below, you've got on either the right and the left of of the title, you've got little boxes where there's choirs. You can even see Pretorius himself on the right side directing to the guy across the aisle, right? So you've got singers up in the balcony in the right and up on the other balcony in the left. You've got singers around an organ with some uh, sackbutt players. It looks like a trombone to us uh, down on the floor. So you can see not only is he, you know, using these interesting musical forces kind of in terms of the composition, but the spacing in the room for the performance. For what purpose? To show that, in fact, heaven and earth are full of His glory. That everything we're doing now is in preparation for eternal life, where we're going to join... by sight, uh, with the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, but but even now we're joining in that we're responding to the word of God, uh, and uh, and it, that plays into something Michael Pretorius was so interested in his whole life. His his kind of initials were M P C, Michael Pretorius of Kreuzberg, which is uh, where he was born, uh, but um, but he also kind of made it into a poem, uh, mihi patria celum. Uh, which means uh, heaven is my fatherland, that he was looking forward to eternal life, and he saw his music as as just a step in the way.
0: Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. And we have more to learn about Michael Pretorius with Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and our chaplain for the International Center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: Welcome back to the coffee hour. I'm Amy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: We're talking with Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Regarding Michael Pretorius, the great church musician, giving thanks to God for the good gifts that He's given us through this uh, this outstanding church musician, and so much I'm learning so much today, and I know that Sarah and I are both kind of nerding out over the the great um, history that Chaplain Denzer is sharing with us today. Michael Pretorius, you've already painted a great picture for us of who he is um, and some of the great work that he's done. Who influenced him? Who you mentioned a little bit of the cultural influences? Were there any key figures who significantly influenced Michael Pretorius?
2: I think we should probably say that Martin Luther in- influenced him. It's very interesting on the on the front covers of his, uh, his publications. Some have noted that his name is, is very small on it. Uh, you know, his picture <laughs> may be there, uh, kind of in the side, but in the center, the word that really jumps out is, uh, Martini Luteri, that, uh, These are the hymns of Martin Luther and that he's serving the Lutheran Church. And you can see in his writings that he he knew this. He had a great theological background, uh, studying as as most people did that day at a very classical education. He knows the Greek references. He worked all the time in these languages of Latin and Greek uh, and even some Hebrew and as well as German, his native language. Uh, But you can see that the writings of not only the Church Fathers, uh, but Luther himself, Really stand out. Uh, so I, I would say Luther himself was a great influencer of him, and uh, especially Luther's view of music. He might have, his father probably knew Johann Walter, who was Luther's companion uh, musically uh, during the time of the Reformation. Uh, in this second part, as I mentioned, his influences were from all over the world. You have to realize at this time, similar to our day, I suppose, there is a global. Uh, conversation going on. The Renaissance is a time when people are able to communicate through letters, at least, all across uh, Europe. And so uh, the, the not only does the Reformation, of course, spread like wildfire, uh, but things come the other way, too. And, and, and the main thing that comes the other way is this Italian new style of music. Um, these uh, multiple choirs that are echoing back and forth to each other, uh, as well as a, a focus... Uh, on what well, kind of early opera that you let the words take control, like when, uh, when somebody's uh, saying a big soliloquy and uh, they're kind of just talking. It's almost like chanting, actually, uh, but in a more operatic style. Just the beginnings of that show up in Pretorius. But you can see he has an interest to take this, these new styles of music and apply them to the ancient heritage of the church and so his influence maybe more foundationally even than uh, than luther more than his musical mentors you have the the treasures of the church um he wrote once about Lucas Lozius' uh, *Salmodia*, which is a big collection of some hymns, but mostly the the chants of the church. This is a book that he would have used growing up as a schoolboy when he was singing in the choir there. He said he just loved singing all those songs, uh, the Latin ones and the German ones, when he was a kid, and he had a mind to set all of it in multiple parts, uh, multiple times, again, in his kind of grand, systematized thinking, you know, he'd want to do everything and, and everything in a very complete way. But you see that that even though he's in the court where you might think, well, it's mostly fox hunt songs and dances, <laughs> his focus is so much for the church and, and and by no means is it a foreign place to him or to his works to have them performed in church in the context of a of a whole congregation gathered uh, to praise God and to receive His gifts.
1: So, what are some of the hymns that we uh, know of today because of Praetorius's work?
2: Probably the most important one is uh, "Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming." Mm-hmm. Uh, cistine rose and sprungen. Mm. for a long time it was actually credited to praetorius as if he wrote the tune it turns out it's actually an earlier piece uh, uh written in the monasteries and had a lot more emphasis on mary uh, in those days by the time it came to praetorius it was uh, firmly about christ about his incarnation mary's there too of course but uh, but the focus being our savior but the setting of it and if you were to hear it played right now you would recognize it immediately. The The harmonization of it, which is the same harmonization that for the most part is in our hymnal now, it's Michael Pretorius. And he shows how in four parts, which you might think is a very simple way to set hymns, that's why we put it in the simple way in the hymnal, so that even you at home, if you're an amateur pianist can play it. It's so beautiful. The voices are all interesting, especially the alto line. and. Uh, And that is characteristic of the way Praetorius writes his music, that that it's all very beautiful, no matter what part of it you're singing. Uh, As for any other particular hymns or pieces, it's hard to say. As I mentioned, he kind of wrote something for the whole catalog. If he were taking up our hymnal LSB today, he would just go through and write about 10 pieces for every single hymn. Uh, you know, and release them at various times and uh, for, for two voices or for five voices or for two choirs of three voices each, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Do we know
0: of others who were influenced by him?
2: Yeah. And, and uh, again, in this kind of global renaissance uh, atmosphere where people have their circles of people and they're all talking and sharing and competing in a, in a friendly way with each other. Uh, he had many of the other great composers of his time and just after that he was very closely associated with. He probably kind of uh, inducted Hans Leo Hassler. Uh, into his job in Dresden, which is where uh, one of the places that Pretorius later in life served uh, as artist not in residence, which is a strange concept uh, <laughs> that, that he actually had multiple positions. He, he never was there hardly, but he would arrange the music and uh, and work with the other musicians to see that things got done. Uh, in fact, he had Hostler uh, conduct his music for the 100th anniversary of the Reformation, the, f- the first Luther anniversary, right, that we celebrated 500 a couple years ago. Uh, had him celebrate and, and do his music in Dresden because he was busy doing it back in his hometown for his duke. So uh, so you can see how, how incredibly busy he was and, and yet how prolific he was. So Hostler, Shine—these uh, are the, the the great names of this era. Following him, in, in a lot of ways, Hostler kind of completes what Pretorius begins uh, with this multiple choir style coming into the German territories in the Lutheran Church.
1: You mentioned a sackbutt earlier. Uh, what other instruments would have been used? And how would how we hear the, this music today as as we do in all of our other musical styles, but would it have sounded drastically different back when he was actually composing and, and playing these things for
2: the court? One of the things you see in this era of music is the instruments matter. In fact, one of his volumes of his, uh, his writings is really kind of a theory work. He talks about uh, how to build organs. I mean, amazing. This guy built organs and designed them too on the side, not just played them. Uh, but one of the most useful to us, frankly, is he has a book that's just about all the instruments of the world at that time. It even has instruments from the Indians in America. Oh. Just think about it. This is after America's been discovered. Uh, uh, so so it has some instruments about that. He says you shouldn't use those in church, of course. But uh, <laughs> so so recorders, uh, reed instruments, uh, uh, but also violins and gambas, uh, things that endured to box day, harpsichords, organs, of course, uh, but all of them filling in when needed for the voice, uh, that the human voice was definitely the center of it. And uh, in, in a way, this is a period of music where you can take any of the parts and substitute almost any instrument you want in if you don't have all the voices and that's totally permitted um, but, but the fact that he's cataloged that uh, it's interesting he says in the prefaces I'm an amateur at this You know, there are real experts who've studied this stuff they should probably make these books and do all the hard work uh, but, but nobody else ever did so thanks to Pretorius we actually know uh, almost everything we know about Renaissance instruments
0: What are some resources where we can learn more about Michael Pretorius?
2: Great question. There's there's not nearly enough written about him as there should be. Um, I believe all of his works can be found on the Coral Public Domain Library. Uh, I think they're all in public domain at this point. Uh, certainly they're old enough, but uh, the edition <laughs> of them may have fallen out of copyright as well. So you can look for that online. Uh, there are two books that you might look at. The first and easiest is one from. Uh, I believe Concordia Publishing House publishes it still. Uh, this is by the late Carl Schalk, who just recently passed mm-hmm. away. It's called "Music and Early Lutheranism: Shaping the Tradition," and it's really making the case that uh, that Bach, maybe the only Lutheran musician we usually think of, really was building on the uh, standing on the shoulders of those who came before, and Pretorius is one of them. So I'd point you to that. The other is a brand new in 2020 translation of a biography uh, from 2008. Uh, The original German author was Siegfried Vogelsänger, uh, and it's translated by actually a Lutheran pastor, Wisconsin Lutheran pastor from Texas, Nathaniel Biebert. It's called Heaven is My Fatherland, The Life and Work of Michael Pretorius uh, from Wiffenstock Publishing. I would highly recommend this book. It, it's It's a great biography that'll tell you all the details, uh, interesting as well as practical about his life. has wonderful pictures as well. Uh, but the real treasure is is how much the translator has given us primary sources, these great poems that uh, Pretorius would put in the beginning of his books. Uh, we have his funeral sermon preached by the pastor at Pretorius' own funeral. Uh, and uh, lots of the introductions to these fantastic works as well as a really good guide to the incredible uh, uh, number of volumes uh, that he's written and and all the plans that we have that maybe didn't quite come to fruition too. Chaplain Denzer, thank
0: you so much for all your research and uh, just painting a beautiful picture for us and giving us great insights on uh, this gift to the church and the music uh, through Michael Pretorius. Thanks for being our guest on The Coffee Hour today. My pleasure. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.